Real quick, Ryan, can you uh, help me out? How are the Cubs doing right now? How's how's the night looking? Yeah, down one nothing already. Kyle Schwarber let off the game with the homer. Forgot to play it. Played it last night. Yeah, he did not. <laughs> then the Cubs granted runner in scoring position. So that's uh, that's how my night's starting off. one nothing, And that's the only thing that's not looking good right now. So I asked you who was going to be the team to screw me tonight. It's going to end up being the Cubs. I know it. Yeah. Of course I, it is. It, it, it's a regular thing. It's a regular thing. Tristan, I feel like, would you say it's every night or every other night that it's something with the Cubs in him? I think I'd go almost every night. Every other, every, uh, like more than every other night, but not every night. There you go. What's the in-between on that, right? Whatever we can put on the in-between is that. All right, the NBA free agency uh, rumors and then moves, and then, my God, it's just never-ending, and this is what makes the NBA so great. Dan Favali jumps on with us, Bleacher Reports. I... I guess it's pretty obvious what we're going to start with here. James Harden opting into his deal, and then he's going to probably get traded. I mean, first, we hear the Clippers and Knicks. Okay, so those are possibilities. How did we get to this point, and what makes the most sense for him now? I think we got to this point in part because the way that the NBA is now structured, I don't think stars of James Harden's age are going to get as much money later on in their careers. And so if he was going to opt out, his list of suitors was just so finite that it made more sense once Houston apparently pivoted to looking at guys who are more plug and play or maybe just younger guys um, to opt in and you could dictate your destination that way. And I think for him, the most sense to me would clearly make if you can go to the Clippers and they're not going to have to trade Kawhi or PG, it puts you in Los Angeles where we know that he would definitely want to be and you form a very expensive big three and not a very durable big three. But I think that team Um, makes the most sense for him, especially because the only other two that were kind of mentioned are Miami and New York. The Knicks don't make any sense to me. And the Heat, I know he would love Miami and the club scene there, but I don't think him and Jimmy Butler and his practice regimen would would mesh too well together. Dan, you, uh, you wrote about the 10 most intriguing free agents that nobody is talking about. I'm particularly interested in your take on three of them. Javon Carter, who I think if Budenholzer would have played in the playoffs more two years ago, maybe they wouldn't have lost that playoff series. Ayo Desunmu and Johnny Utah, Utah Watanabe. Like, what do you like about these three and where do you see them going? Javon Carter, I do expect to to stay put just because the Bucs can't afford to lose him, but he's just so plug and play. Like when you look at his defense and just a point guard who's not really a point guard, he'll play off the ball. Uh, I think I'm probably most intrigued by Ayo Desunmu. A lot of people seem down on him because he didn't shoot the three ball too well this year. We're talking about someone who can pass, keep the ball moving, is 6'5", and the Bulls had him guarding through his first two years in the NBA, positions one through four. And now there's talk that they might just let him walk if he gets more than like five million bucks a year or something. Uh, So if you can get him for that number, even if it's more than that number, I would absolutely take a flyer. And, you know, Utah Watanabe almost seems like he's become a mainstream free agent because of how many teams without any money are just looking at him. And he makes a ton of sense as a guy that's 6'9", um, can shoot the ball really well from three, even if he won't take a ton of them. And I think he's become a really a good or at least reliable help defender from both the inside and out. And so if you're a team, everyone wants wings in general, but if you're a team that just doesn't have any money to spend and he's still going to fall in that sort of minimum contract range, I don't know how he's on your list. And at this point, it really wouldn't shock me if some of these teams with you know the bigger MLEs or cap space are just like, well, hey, here's a two-year deal that's going to pay you noticeably more because we think that you're that plug and play into our rotation. Do you think Chicago ends up moving Zach Levine here uh, this off season? And what do you think even a package 
would look like for Zach Levine and, you know, a potential fit as well. I do think to answer your second question first, that Zach Levine would net more than people are kind of expecting. I feel like his deal has been viewed as this net negative all of a sudden, and I just don't agree. He's like one of the most valuable off-the-bounce scores in the NBA. And I think if you moved him, you would probably get the equivalent of at least three first-round picks or prospects. Uh, I think he's been linked to the Knicks, which I, which I do believe makes a lot of sense, even though their fans don't seem to think that. I could see Miami maybe getting in on him if they do make him available. I will say they just paid Vooch, so I have no idea why you would move Zach Levine now. I don't know what type of message that sends about your direction if you give Vooch $20 million a year, guaranteed, and then you go and move Zach Levine. I just don't know where that, that leaves you, and so I'd expect them to, to run it back. Yeah, Zach Levine linked to the Knicks, James Harden linked to the Knicks. As a Knicks fan, I don't want to see it, but, uh, you know, I, I guess at this point, a team that made it to the second round, I'll take it at this point. Uh, if if not either one of those guys, I mean, we saw, obviously, the Knicks take that next step, and they've got a good young core, and they've got assets. They've got draft picks. Will they be aggressive this offseason, or are they, are they going to be more in a position where it's, all right, let's kind of pick and choose our spot because we're really starting to build something here? I think it will probably be the latter just because I think you look at a lot of the names that are out there and like, let's use James Harden as an example. They got to get past being involved with these guys who are past their prime and Harden's about to turn 34. How many great years do you have left in him? And so you're, you're going to want to hold out for probably someone who's in the Donovan Mitchell age range or younger. I will say it wouldn't surprise me if they wound up acting more quickly just because they're not as strong from an asset perspective as they were even a year ago. Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin are going to need new deals soon. You still do have Quentin Grimes, but you've already paid R.J. Barrett, who's probably a little bit less valuable than he was on his current contract. Your own draft picks are not as valuable now because people actually think and believe you might remain good. And then you have all these extra first-rounders that are kind of fake first-rounders, like, yeah, the Dallas pick might convey, but the Washington-Detroit picks, those might never convey. And so I know they're mentioned a lot with stars, but they actually don't have as strong of an asset base right now as I think a lot of people believe. I'm curious your thoughts on what the Cleveland Cavaliers are doing. Darius Garland is now rumored to be in trade discussions. Brian Windhorst said that there's some sort of outlandish rumors going on in terms of maybe players going to the Cavs. Like, what's their game plan? Because Jared Allen and Evan Mobley clearly didn't work. They were favored in the series against the Nets, or the, against the Knicks, excuse me, and it just really didn't vibe in the playoff environment yeah i would the darius garland noise is so weird i think i'd be flabbergasted if they moved him or donovan mitchell this this summer i think you look at the mobley allen pairing and it works defensively but they rebounded really poorly for having that size on the court and then it does shrink the floor offensively and so when we're talking about outlandish things it's clearly not going to be mobley and so it's are they going to move jared allen and other stuff and maybe bring a wing in there, I do think, though, that they're not obligated to go nuclear. Like, if they could just sign a wing like a Josh Richardson with their mid-level exception, this is a team that I think just becomes infinitely more of a threat in the East. But when Windhorse sends up those cryptic signals, you have to stop and listen. And so I really wouldn't expect it to be Garland. It could be Jared Allen, or if it's going to be super nuclear, just the Donovan Mitchell stuff. If he really wants to get to New York or has already said, hey, when I get the free agency in a couple of years, I'm not coming back. Um, the Cavs are going to want to recoup as much of the first-round equity as they gave up to get him as they can. And the way to do that would be to move him with as much time as possible left on his deal, which would be right now. Kyrie's going to take a meeting with the Suns. Do you think he actually ends up in Phoenix? I don't know how they would wait, uh, make that work financially, or do you think he's back in Dallas? 
my guess would be he's back in Dallas. If he wants to go to Phoenix, he's going to have to take a minimum of a $25 million pay cut off his max salary. And I know people think Kyrie is unpredictable, but he kind of used the threat of the Lakers last year to try and get his way. It didn't work. This just feels like leverage that I'm not even sure that he needs. He has been mentioned with Philadelphia once they move on from Harden. The machinations behind that are too complicated. I really do expect that it'll probably be like maybe a two or or three-year deal that gives him close to or maybe his full max, but I would be pretty surprised if he's not back in Dallas at this point. Talking to Dan Favalli, Bleacher Report, host of the Hardwood Knox podcast. You know, the Spurs are obviously an interesting spot now with Victor Wembanyama there, and uh, they were really bad last year. I think we know that, but they were trying to lose games. Is there a chance now, we don't have win totals out yet for the NBA, obviously, but is there a chance that this is a team that maybe pulls in a couple of surprise free agent moves or maybe a couple of decently aggressive trades or just something that takes them from, you know, the team last year that was obviously trying to lose to, I don't know, maybe even just somewhere where you win 34, 35 games? Yeah, I think I think there's a chance they just get there because Wembenyama is that good. We kind of mm-hmm. saw it when Luka Doncic comes into the league and he's just immediately ready. And if you're going to play him heavy minutes, I don't know what their work, they anticipate his workload to be. And he's as transformative, specifically on defense, as he's supposed to be. Uh, I think you immediately vault into, hey, maybe 30-plus win territory. It's interesting to consider, well, why not go out and try and sign even one impact veteran? Maybe it's a Fred Van Fleet to organize your offense or a Brook Lopez. Just give him the short-term windfall to pair him next to Wemby. That would see- significantly elevate their ceiling if Wemby is who we think he is it would just be so out of character for the organization. And it's almost a little bit upsetting from a basketball fan's perspective because it feels like they're in a position to be good right away. I would expect, however, them to probably use their cap space, kind of like we've seen OKC and Utah use theirs so far, where they're soaking up some unwanted contracts that are either attached to something or they're taking a flyer on, on a player who's considered a distressed asset himself at this point. Yeah, you mentioned OKC. I'm curious your thoughts about the jump for OKC this year. Obviously, Chet's been with the team the entire year recovering from injury. They draft Case and Wallace out of Kentucky. Kentucky guards outperform their draft stock a lot in the NBA, but they have now a ton of guards. Um, are they maybe going to be looking to move some guys out? Like, is Case and Wallace kind of at the end of the bench? Like, what's their strategy, you think, for this season? Yeah, I honestly don't know. And your point about the guards is just so salient. I wouldn't expect Cason Wallace to play that much right now, just with Giddy, Lou Dort, and SGA there. They do have like 16 players under contract, so they're going to have to trim that down. Maybe they're ripe for a consolidation trade. Um, I honestly don't know what's in store. A name long-term for them that I would just monitor, and it's sacrilegious to suggest in, in Oklahoma City, is just Lou Dort. He's on a great contract. He's just massive defensively. And if they're ever looking to, one, make a consolidation trade or just open up more time um, if they don't want to pay him or if they just want to make themselves more flexible in the backcourt, that's just sort of the name, the larger salary on their books that they could potentially move. And I'm sure there are teams right now that would give up at least two first-round picks for him. Wow. Dan, we still got about two minutes. Where are you at with the Pelicans? Because we pop up the Western Conference odds right now, and they're 22-1, to which is kind of hard to believe because they look so good before, obviously, like Zion got hurt again. And you worry about his health, but I like Brandon Ingram. I like a guy like Trey Murphy, and they're still really deep. They got a bunch of talent. Uh, where are you at with the Pelicans, though? You think, you know, maybe they could bounce back next season and be a playoff team? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, they're a dark horse contender if Zion's going to play, let's say, 60 games. It's just we've yet to really see him do that. And so how do you bank on it? And how do you plan around it? They're not going to do anything in free agency. Can you make some sort of a trade that gives you some, someone that works with Zion but also helps you while he's out? It's a very tough line to straddle. But I think if they can go out on the trade market or maybe free agency and add either a shooter or a rim protector to pair with Zion, presumably you'd want both in the same player, hashtag Miles Turner still. But uh, if they can add that type of skill set to their rotation and they're able to stay even relatively healthy, I'm talking like 58, 62 games from Zion, they're absolutely a threat to finish at or near the top of the West. All right, yeah, Dan, really we still got quickly, about two I, minutes or so. Do you want to jump I, in? I just wanted to, I, yeah, I, I put that in the chat. I, I just wanted to, you, you mentioned Miles Turner, so I just wanted to like jump on that. Like, I saw that the Charlotte Hornets extended a qualifying offer to him. Do you think there's going to be a, a big market for him from other teams, or do you think the history will hold teams back from him? Because he's so talented. Yeah, Miles Bridges with that felony domestic violence um, stuff, just for lack of a better word, I, I think teams are going to steer clear outside of Charlotte. And I would argue that and this is a very callous way to look at it, but from a pure basketball standpoint, I think it's worse for an outside team to come in with one of these bigger money offers now than it would be for a Charlotte team where it's like, well, hey, he was our player. He didn't play last season. He's going to serve the balance of his 30-game suspension. But he is a name that, I've heard people say that some really just weird, egregious things could happen. Nobody's talking about him because they assume he'll stay in Charlotte. But if teams with money want to float offers his way, he's absolutely someone who can, on the basketball court, move the needle for you. All right, still got about a minute here. So before you go, we take James Harden out of the equation here. The NBA star that's most likely to be traded this offseason, who would it be right now? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to say it's Carl Anthony Towns. There's just Rudy Gobert is there. They've committed to a direction. You paid Nas Reed. You have so much money wrapped up in big men. You let Torian Prince go. You're letting Nikhil Alexander-Walker go as well. It seems like they're sort of setting themselves up to be more flexible, maybe in free agency, but also perhaps on the trade market. And that just feels like the guy outside of a James Harden trade right now. And Damian Lillard would be number two, but that just seems destined to continue dragging out, I think, until around the deadline. Dan Favali, Bleacher Report, Hardwood Knox Podcast. Appreciate you coming on with us, man. No problem. Thank Thanks, you for Dan. having me. Take care.